Welcome to the Improvising Life Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Robin. For episode two, we're going to be talking about what is improv and why do I improvise? So improv is improvisational comedy, and it's this idea that everything happens as it happens, right? So you might be familiar with stand-up, where the comedians are spending countless hours refining and perfecting certain jokes, so that way the delivery is really consistent across different shows. Perhaps sketch comedy, where you're really ideating out and creating all these characters and worlds beforehand, and then offering that as something, almost like a television episode, where people are experiencing that. But the thing with improv is it's not prepared, but there is preparation that happens. And so it's often really funny to think about how, as improvisers on a stage, we're doing something all made up that we'll never do again. We likely won't even remember what happened because we're so in the moment, yet we have practice. So we practice doing something that won't even come up in the show most likely, right? But what we're actually practicing is relating with ourselves and each other as we improvise. Because while it might seem like there's a free-for-all, there are sort of best practices and a code of conduct to make sure that you're respecting each other on the stage and that, you know, you're sharing this, the screen, so to speak, right? Because what can happen is someone can be sort of on a power trip of, I'll be the funniest, I want the most attention, I want the most time. And that translates to a really shitty show if you're watching in the audience. You can tell then because the team won't have chemistry. You might even find yourself annoyed as an audience member of, why is that happening? And on the other side of it, you can also be an improviser that's perhaps more laid back and you don't then get to contribute anything. So it might look like from the audience of why is that person even there? So while we do things on the spot, there is practice that goes into it. So that way we're able to literally yes and each other, you know, support each other, have each other's backs, all of these nuanced sayings, which are really practices in the improv world. When I took my first improv class, I just thought it was a way for me to be the funny person that, you know, my friends and family always said that I was and just being able to have a place where there is room to share that out. And so my first class, the instructor, you know, he stopped me after a few scenes and said, Lori, everything you're sharing is great. It's really funny. And I don't believe you. And I was like, the fuck? Like, what What do you mean? You know, he's like, I just don't believe you when you say it. The emotions and the body mannerisms that you're delivering while you say it don't match. I just don't believe you. And then I had this moment of like, fuck, I'm supposed to be conveying all of that? <laughs> it's not just about being the wittiest person or being able to pick on, up on the nuanced things that other people share out. And it's not, because until that moment, I really didn't realize that improv and comedy were part of theater. You know, I just thought it was about being the person that you are, you know, and, and only delivering that, right, and, and having this really comfy show. But improv is actually about creating those characters and worlds, like, as they're happening without any attachment to how it looks or, you know, how you present yourself, right? It's whatever ends up being how the character that you're playing would provide that moment, how can you step into that? And that was something so outside of my comfort zone. And what I realized was that I had the emotional range of a teaspoon. I quite literally only understood really low lows or really high highs. And that was something that was really because of my childhood. I was only allowed to operate in that sort of role, right, of being in a deep despair where I shut down or hyping everything up, right? Anything in between wasn't allowed because it didn't have a function in supporting what other people needed, right? And so I had this moment of realizing 
how much of myself I wasn't even able to bring into my life because I never had a space where that was something that I could practice. So improv suddenly became something where I get to even experience what it's like to move my body and to make sounds that I've always wanted to make and actually ask myself of like, how would I perform this as a person to even identify that? Because I just didn't understand that there were options, right? I was the the living experience of Bueller, 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 you know, of just being so caged in. And so I got really curious then about my emotional story of like, where, you know, because at, at first it seemed like it's coming out of nowhere. Like what? This can't be true, but it made so much sense when I was able to reflect back. And I remembered, even as early as middle school, telling other people (laughs) that I was an emotional extremist because I only knew low lows or really high highs. So I was either reacting in anger because someone did something wrong and not being able to have another way to navigate it and really being this protective person of, like, I have to to find justice, right? And, like, I have to keep this person safe, or really high highs of, oh my god, do you see that fucking dog across the street? Ah, you know, like running up and then the dog and the owner both being like, who the fuck is this and why is she interrupting our walk? Right? Like, I was in this real zombie state unless something shocked me out of it. And because that was my lived experience, of course that's all I'm going to be able to bring up on a stage, right? So I had this, this portal all of a sudden open up of, has there ever been a time where I have felt more like me? And what I realized was that it's when I was around youth. And so I I reflected on that part and realized that I started babysitting by the age of 11. And, you know, at this point, I'm 27. So for 16 years, I've been working with youth. Even while being a youth myself, I was already in a caregiver role. But it was when I was around youth that that's when I had a playful side. I could show different expressions. I didn't care how I was presenting myself because it felt like a much safer space to be with youth and to let my inner child come out. Then when I was in the adulting world, right, of you have to perform this way, you have to have this value, you have to be contributing in this way. And so then I was thinking, how does it feel for me to be in those different roles? Why is it so, again, extremist? How am I one or the other? Why isn't there a middle ground? And so in that reflection, I realized that like I've never looked at myself as having to have this formal role when I'm with youth. It's really about how can I connect with this other person? What feels relevant to what they're experiencing? And so from that, I realized that I was my fuller self in that. And I had these different skill sets. And just there was just I wasn't able to flex that muscle bringing that part of me into adult spaces because it wasn't safe to do that in my own childhood. You know, I had to be a different person around adults for safety, you know. And so I was holding that tender space. But then I realized that I'd been applying improv, you know, this idea of being in the moment and being creative and yes, anding and and being the supportive person to who's around me for most of my life when I was around youth. So I got curious of why couldn't I bring this energy into the rest of my life? And so I've realized that if I noticed more often the ways I was flexing that muscle when I was with youth, then I could actually then translate that into the rest of my life. It's time for a flashback. So there I was, 20-something and working with teenagers. And for this story, we're going to say that their names were Bobby and Sally. So we're sitting there programming when we're eating tuna fish sandwiches, which was a really interesting choice to be having at a youth program because 
what teenager is going to want a tuna fish sandwich, you know, not many. And so all of a sudden, everyone is noticing that (laughs) Sally has a tuna fish sandwich dripping down her face. And the other adults are suddenly just yelling, like, what happened? Who did this? You know, and that's never been my reaction when it comes to youth, because I'm like, okay, there's something that happened here. So then I realize that Bobby is looking and he's pretty confused on why everyone's freaking out. So I pull Bobby aside and I ask, I say, what happened? And he said, well, I tried to give Sally a sandwich. I'm like, okay, (laughs) can you tell me what happened? And most importantly, tell me how you thought this was going to play out, right? Because I wanted to have more insight on what his thought process was. Because I'm not going to assume that someone else is thinking the way that I think, right? That's not the point of existing. We all have our different capacities and our different ways of processing things. So Bobby then goes to say that he figured if he tossed a sandwich to Sally, then she would have to look at him and he'd be able to wink at her, right? Because he's trying to let her know that he's into her. So in his mind, he like frisbee tossed a sandwich and it was supposed to, you know, like land on her plate really gracefully. But what had happened was <laughs> he shot putted the sandwich across the table to her. And in air, in motion, the top piece of bread fell off. So <laughs> Sally had the least appealing version of getting pied in the face and literally had a tuna face melt situation happening. I mean, it like landed on her hairline and just like slowly dripped down her face. And so at that point, what Sally was experiencing was not (laughs) any type of affection or interest. She had no desire to look around and make a connection with someone because her response, very understandably, was, who the fuck did this? Why do we need to fight? You know, because she's in protection mode all of a sudden. And Bobby just did not understand (laughs) how that translation got messed up. Because in his mind, that was the only move he needed to make. And he was going to suddenly be this provider. I mean, little did he know a few years from then, he would have done what we would consider a Pinterest fail, right? And so we then had this conversation about expectation versus reality, the difference between intention and impact. And because I was able to take him to the side and and give him a space to share out what he thought was going to happen, then suddenly he knew he had to express that to Sally so then she would understand that it was just him not being able to deliver on what he thought was going to be some romantic moment of him providing her nourishment, right? And so that situation ended up in a space where (laughs) while no one could really understand the logic that Bobby had, Sally at least was able to have some level of like dignity repaired um, and understand that it wasn't like a targeted sandwiching, right? But (laughs) I think back to that, that moment as one of those moments where because my experience with youth was that I could have this different approach and, and... (laughs) be able to feel safer in my interactions that I was able to offer a safer space for them to to work through this accidental sandwiching right and yet I then had to notice that it's not a skill set that I had with adults like if I would have seen an adult there's another adult she's been like oh this is some sort of like beef playing out in a food fight I probably would have felt like I needed to join it you know <laughs> it would have been a whole different Lori um 
And so in that moment, that's one of the things when I reflect back of what skills was I able to apply in that moment to hold space for someone's humanity, you know, and give Bobby a chance to explain how he thought that was going to play out, but also make sure that Sally's needs were addressed too, because at this point, she then had to go through the rest of the afternoon smelling like a tuna fish sandwich and just really questioning life and whether she even wanted someone to be attracted to her, if that meant she was going to get sandwiched. All right, we are back in present time. Thank you for going on that trip with me. And so, really, if we can pull out of that that experience, this idea of meeting people where and how they are, and how that leaves more room open for connection and for people to end up having some sort of resolve to a moment <laughs> instead of just chaos, right? And so improvising is that idea, and it's a practice that life provides us moments to experience And when we are able to improvise our response to them, right, we're actually able to have that experience, to integrate what's coming up, process it, maybe even enjoy bits of it, actually have an experience that feels like there's any amount of choice in it, right? It's not only being in a place of reaction where everything has to be on the scale of good or bad, of um, I can control it or it controls me, you know? And so there's suddenly just more room. I think of this as a posturing, like your shoulders can go back a little bit. You're able to breathe a fuller breath. You're maybe even able to chuckle at things that <laughs> have, you know, that have different layers, right? Some parts of it can feel really heavy, but then there's like that playful part of like, what just even fucking happened, right? And so for me, it suddenly became this way when I realized that's something I was able to do. Um, it was this way of challenging what I call adulting on autopilot. Or what ends up happening, and it's really expected of us in society, where we just get into a groove of of performing what is really our survival needs, totally understandable, but also of just this this way of being in zombie mode, of reacting, of getting the same things done over and over again the same way, not checking in with our bodies, not checking in with each other, not having any real space or capacity to know what's going on, right? Everything just gets sort of filed away in whatever category it seems related to based off of our past experiences, And so we end up, because of adulting on autopilot, we end up being so disconnected from ourselves and others that we start to think that's the only way to be. So I realized that when I was around adults, because I had learned that I had to be in a a safety mode, but really I had to protect myself, I had to be someone more palatable so that way I didn't get any more attention that could be harmful or problematic or, or nothing else would come up that I'd have to manage and help people function through. That I started to think that was the only way to be, right? And yet my nervous system, my body, knew the difference of when I was in a, a space with youth versus when I was in a space with adults. But my mind hadn't felt it was safe enough to have that realization yet. So again, I went to improv class seeing, um, after seeing uh, some improvisers that I really love at a, a really large improv festival in New York and thinking, oh, that's what improv is, it's so much fun, it's so playful, I want to experience that. So, you know, I went to class thinking, oh, this is a place where I can be funny, and I ended up getting totally, like, rug pulled out from under me of this, like, potentially existential crisis of, holy shit, my whole life is a fucking lie. (laughs) And this whole time I've been thinking, you know, the part of me that exists when I'm alone or with other, like, with youth in particular of thinking that I'm myself and I know what that is and that I'm this, like, carefree person, actually had, like, most of my life has actually been masking so much and has been surviving. And so, you know, holding that space was something where it's like, 
I couldn't ignore that awareness, you know, for some people that might have been the next thing to happen, but there was just something in me that was like, I need to stay with this moment. I need to be able to literally yes and this because it's coming up for such a big reason because I could just feel that. And I also then thought to myself of who might question if this is something that feels so compelling, right? I actually feel this awakening inside of me, not in the really cliche, like bypassy way of awakening, but I actually felt like there was suddenly a different permission to be myself. So how could I explore that more? So how that exploration really began was reflecting on what skill sets was improv providing me? What ways was I already experiencing really deep connection and relationship building with the youth that I've worked with for over half of my life? And is that something where there's actually, you know, these tangible steps or practices or ideas that I can sort of tease out of that, whether that's from a literal improv class and language that improv offers or something that because I'd been a a youth service practitioner for most of my life that I had learned, um, you know, just from putting relationships first, you know, was there anything that I was doing as a skill set that seems so normal to me that maybe other people wouldn't have? And can I just spend time with those? And what ended up happening was I sort of teased out and distilled down six tools of improvising. And the next few episodes, we're going to have a series, is going to be going through what I think of like a doggy paddle, right? We're going to doggy paddle through each of those tools, meaning we're not going to, the objective is not to like figure out how to do them perfectly. It's really going to be, can we play with these? Can we just get familiar with the language? Because I am going to be peppering them through the other episodes. So what if we lay down this really juicy foundation, this playground, so then I I can go ahead and just share them out, and then I'll be able to direct you towards those episodes if you have questions. So that way we can just be in that moment of connection with each other without me um, (laughs) being the whole like, oh, dictionary time, let's remind you what this is. Um, So we're going to be playing with that in that playground space, right? And so in that process... I'm hoping to just offer that room to feel connected to even one of them. So it's we're going to go through them in, in an order, so to speak. And that's the order that I teach and facilitate with my um, one-to-one clients and also with the organizations that I support through my business of improvising. Because it's when you're able to learn them, it's like building blocks, right? There is a sequence that can flow, but they are totally standalone as well, which is one of my favorite parts. So you might be in a moment where there's like a, a tuna face melt happening, right? Um, and you can just remember one of them. And then that's enough for you to hold that space of honoring that you're having a reaction, the other person's having a reaction, no one knows why we're even having tuna fish sandwiches, why the fuck are we throwing them? You know, there's room for all of that, but then there's a next first step available, right? We don't have to sort of feel as alone or as unprepared, there can just be one of the tools that we remember. And so I'm really um, excited to be sharing that space for you. And then after we get that series out, we're going to be really able to have this really fun, funky playground, right? There's going to be guest speakers. We're going to be connecting with whatever comes up, right? Because again, you know, I, I briefly mentioned this on the first episode of what if this podcast would just be a way for us to experience all these different relationships with ourselves, with each other, and just start to like normalize what it is to be human and really improvising life from this place of so much can happen that we aren't expecting or aren't like prepared for, and yet so much can happen that seems so repetitive, and how can there just be different ways to experience and relate with them? So that way, like we might even, on some days, actually be like, whoa, that went unexpectedly 
but I feel pretty good about how I handled that, or I feel really supported, or I was so delighted and surprised. Like, how can there just be this room for a freshness, maybe some giggles, hopefully not too many <laughs> moments where you really don't even know what happened, but again, feeling equipped that when they do come up, we'll know how to hold space for ourselves. And we can still like honor that there's going to be times where we need to adult on autopilot because we just have to get certain things done. But what if that's not the only way there is to be? What if being ourselves and being human is suddenly something that's okay? And really flexing that muscle together. Because the one thing is we all got to where we are, largely this with this feeling of being unsupported or alone. And a lot of the stories that we have that don't feel good to us that may sort of loom in the back of our minds that maybe other people helped us co-write about ourselves. If we had support getting to a place where we may not feel that great, what if we could be in community together and have support getting out of that place and feeling like something else is possible? And that's the, the vision that I'm holding for our time together. And that's the kind of space I want to hold for myself and others. What if we can improvise life and actually enjoy some of it along the way? How would that feel different? Thank you for joining me for episode two. And I would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. Because let's face it, I'm talking to myself technically while recording this. But I would really love to actually connect with you in real life. I'm on Instagram at improvide.with.lori. So that's I-M-P-R-O-V-I-D-E dot with dot Lori. And if the socials aren't your thing, you can email me at improvising101 at gmail.com. And if you opt for the email route, just put something in the subject line so that way I know you're not a spam witch, right? I've been getting a lot of weird emails that <laughs> aren't from people, or at least people that actually want to connect with me. So um, whatever reaction maybe you have to this episode, you can put that in the email line. As always, I hope you have a razzle-dazzle day. And if that's not possible, that's okay. You can put an F on front and have a frazzle-dazzle day. And if you can think of anyone who might want to listen to this episode, I would love for you to share that out. You can also subscribe or leave any feedback for the podcast, because I think that's what you're supposed to do. I don't really know. We're going through this together. But again, I appreciate you coming for the ride, and I'll see you next time.